0: My name is Grant. If you don't know me, I'm one of the pastors here. And I wanted to stop by just sharing a little story that I heard um, a few years ago. I was listening to this pastor named Francis Chan, for those of you who've heard of him before. And yeah, there's one or two fans in the crowd. But uh, I was listening to him tell this story about us as disciples of Jesus obeying him. And really, so, so often not obeying him uh, as we hear the things that he calls us to do and then we don't do it. And he shared the story, which I'm going to adjust a little bit for us today. But I want you to imagine that Shell um, had a really bad day at work. Shell's my wife sitting over here. So imagine I'm sitting at work and I get this message from her. And it just says, Grant, panic stations. Like, I've gone into work today and there are so many fires to put out. I'm going to be in emergency meetings all day. And I know we've got guests coming this evening. And we were going to kind of do everything together. We're going to buy groceries and cook and set everything up. But I can't be involved at all. You've got to do everything. It's all on you today. I'm like, okay. And imagine she gets home at 10 to 7, 10 minutes before these people arrive, and I'm sitting there, and my feet are up on the table, and I'm on my phone, and the table is not set, and the house is a mess, and there is no food being cooked whatsoever, no groceries on the table, and I'm, I don't know, in my undies or whatever, sitting there, not even dressed (laughs) for these guests about to arrive. She would not be the happiest cat. You can imagine that. And the story that Francis Chan was trying to make is that we so often do that with Jesus, he asks us to do something. He calls us to something. And we know what it is that he's called us to, but we don't do it. And you can imagine some of the excuses we make, or we kind of qualify it in a whole number of different ways. So maybe when Shell looks at me with like seething rage in her eyes because nothing has been done and I've really dropped the ball on this, um, I might respond this way and say, but Shell, I memorized what you asked me to do. You know, I know exactly what your message said. And Shell, I knew like this was a stressful day. So I sat down with people at work today. We, we got together around a table and we studied the message you sent me and we thought about it. We thought about exactly what we should do if we were going to buy the groceries and make the meal and set up the home and prepare for these guests coming. And more than that, I got out my Greek and Hebrew lexicon. And I looked at the Greek and Hebrew words for the message you sent me. And I got in-depth with what you were trying to say. And honestly, going do the original languages just brought out so much more meaning and understanding. And I feel like so much more connected to your message than I would have otherwise. And I prayed for this evening. I prayed for this dinner. And I prayed for the people coming. And I prayed for the house. And I prayed for, prayed for what I would be wearing And I've really also been encouraging other spouses, other husbands and wives who maybe their partners are busy at work. I've really encouraged them to help out and make sure that everything gets done. Now, all of those are good things to do, especially the Greek and Hebrew lexicon thing. That's amazing. But you can imagine that that wouldn't change anything in Shell's heart or mind at that time. She'd be so angry at me because I haven't actually done the things that she's asked me to do. And probably for every single one of us sitting here, I don't know where you are in your journey with Jesus today, but probably for all of us, there are things that we know Jesus calls us to or commands us to do that we know that we're not doing. For whatever reason that is, we're not listening to those commands and applying them to our lives and obeying them and living them out. And I'm sure there's a bunch of different things that even come to mind that would be like the big five or the big 10 that people struggle with that Jesus has called us to do. And I think probably what the Bible teaches about money is one of those areas. And we've been speaking about money over the last couple of weeks. Today is the last part of our Money Matters series. And I think over the last while, we've talked about some tough things. Because when it comes to money, we see how connected money is to our hearts and our motives and our desires and our decisions and all sorts of other things too. And what we've spoken of since week one is we looked at Matthew 6 and we looked really at how money and our hearts and our wallets and our worship are all connected in quite a powerful way. We looked at idolatry and the way actually we can so easily worship money above Jesus and other things. And then week two, we looked at this idea of stewardship. That every single one of us are stewards or God's money managers or really entrusted by God with all of the things we have. All, all that we have and all that we are is from him and belongs to him. And it's given to us to be used for his glory. And then the week after that, we talked about um, Sheesh, what did we talk about? We talked about different types of giving, and we did kind of a full Bible overview of almost the patterns and principles we see throughout Scripture when it comes to giving. And then last week, we looked at the prosperity gospel, and we kind of looked at one of the ways that giving is spoken about in the church, which is just so flawed and false and corrupt and unhealthy and unhelpful. And we saw that how materialism and consumerism have so easily gotten kind of mixed in with the gospel that we preach and that we believe in. I think today one of the things I get to do is I want to take a moment just to actually celebrate the generosity of this church today because this is a generous church. I think over the last month and a bit, we've spoken about Kyle and Kaya Schaefer and we've spoken about their move to Tunisia in the north of Africa in June next year. And we've prayed for Tunisia and we've prayed for them and we've spoken about the realities on the ground there. And we've taken up an offering. There's almost a way as we go through the series that we can practice faith and give. Externally, to something far, far away from us and our world and our city here. And over the last month, we've kind of collected money, and last Sunday it closed. And I just want to let you know, Harbor City, that you, as a church here in Durban, South Africa, gave 83,000 Rand towards this church plant in the north of Africa. I think that's absolutely incredible. That's like far beyond what I thought we would give. I just really think it speaks about the generosity of your hearts and your desire to invest in the kingdom of God advancing and disciples being made and people coming to know Jesus. And I guess churches is being planted in different parts of the world. So well done. I think that shows something really, really incredible about this church. Um, I think almost as we collected that and as I tallied it all up, I thought how cool the series is almost in terms of seeing a response to the word of God. You know, almost like seeing that amount come in, I just thought it's amazing that we as a church are taking God seriously at his word and saying, Lord, if this is what the scriptures take, even if it is hard, even if it is sacrificial, even if it's costly, we want to give according to our means to what you say. So I really want to honor you guys for being a people who say what the scriptures say and what the spirit says is something that we want to obey and live out, which means that we are the kind of church that doesn't ignore the message from Shell, the message from Jesus. We actually hear it and we obey it, and we live it out. So today, we are finishing up our Money Matters series by talking about tithing. Now, for those of you who are new or visiting or are kind of looking in and exploring Christianity, this is such an awkward topic to be here for today. Like, And I know that. You know, I've invited people to church today. And there's this reality in my mind that as much as this is an awkward topic to talk about, there's also this reality that we want to be speaking about this in such a way that um, people can understand what's going on under the hood of this church, what we're about, what we do, kind of look into what it means to be connected in this community. And we can understand the grace of God better when it comes to a topic like this and a topic like money. And really, in a nutshell, tithing is giving 10% of your income to the church as an act of worship to God. That really is just what it is simply. And we spoke about this a little bit two weeks ago as we looked at this biblical theology of giving. And we looked at percentage giving or tithing. We looked at giving to the poor. And we looked at giving to projects, advancing God's kingdom, kind of like this Tunisian offering that we've been taking up. And we looked at how God throughout the scriptures has been writing generosity into the laws that he's given to his people so that we would be shaped into a generous community. God wants us to be a generous people like he is. And I think one of the things we see with tithing is that this is something that God has called us to do as a spiritual discipline. Almost as something that we do to practice this and live this out and be shaped by this so that we become the kind of individuals and the kind of community That God wants us to be, so tithing is as cheesy as this might sound. Moral, not really about what God wants from us. You know, God doesn't need our money. God doesn't need our stuff, but it's more about what God wants for us as His people. It's something that He is hoping to shape in us and to change our hearts and minds about. And God gave this command to His people, the Israelites, and today to us to teach us that we have been blessed. Not just so that our standard of living can go up and so that we can buy more things and that we can own more and go on more holidays and all of that. But God has given us this command actually so that we could be a blessing. That other people could be impacted through what we have and so that they could see the generosity and grace of God through our lives. Now one of the reasons I wanted to leave this to last in this series is actually because this is such a debated and I guess controversial topic. So if you are to go online this afternoon, as I'm sure some of you will do, I want you to know you're able to find a whole spectrum of different teachings when it comes to this topic and very strong opinions on each mark along that spectrum. And I know a bunch of you are going to look some of that up, but I think like one of the things that struck me almost as I read a bunch of different articles and listened to a bunch of different topics and sermons and kind of went through the scriptures this week, I think I was just struck because I've been tithing since I was 18. I remember probably as a 13 or 14-year-old hearing about this idea for the first time and thinking it was crazy, you know, thinking the church just wants my money. I don't understand this. This is nuts. And then going through this process over time, hearing teachings about this and processing this where I thought, okay, I'm going to start to do this because I believe this is what it looks like to be obedient as a follower of Jesus. So I think for me this week, as I've kind of gone through this and looked over the verses again and read these arguments, it's been a really good eye-opener to think what does the Bible really say about this? And I guess today as we go through this topic, we're looking at our view as a church when it comes to the topic of tithing. Now the main objection to tithing today that you'll find easily online if you look it up is that tithing is under the law. It's an old covenant mosaic teaching which doesn't apply to us today. As followers of Jesus under this new covenant, under this new way after Jesus died on the cross, it doesn't apply to us anymore at all. And in a sense, that's 100% true, you know. We are not under this Mosaic law. We are not under this Old Testament covenant and that way of approaching God. We approach God through Jesus today. So if you look at Ephesians 2, Galatians 2, Romans 4, Romans 6, all over the New Testament, you will see this idea come through again and again and again. We are no longer under the law as followers of Jesus. I thought of some of you almost like subtly there sitting in your seats, opening up your banking apps and just kind of deleting that scheduled payment, that tithe. We're free. We don't have to do it. You know, what are we going to do with this 10% extra a month or whatever it is? But there's a little bit more to this teaching than just that. Firstly, yes, we are no longer under the Old Testament law at all as followers of Jesus. We relate to God through a new covenant through Jesus. And the word covenant is like a tricky word, which we don't have to get into today. But there is a new way that we approach God in this new covenant in him. But so much of the Old Testament law, as we read through it, is so helpful to us in understanding God's nature and understanding God's ways and really understanding what is good for us as human beings and what leads to human flourishing. So, for instance, one of the things we've talked about in this church before is the idea of Sabbathing. This idea that we would take a day off every single week to rest. We would stop working and cut it out completely just to rest and restore our batteries and to be with God and be re-energized and restored for the week ahead so that we can go into it fresh and strong and well. Now, that is something that is under the law. You know, Today, we don't Sabbath as those who are under the law, but that is something that was taught under the law. So we no longer Sabbath in that way that is under the law. We don't Sabbath because we have to. We Sabbath because we get to. We Sabbath because this is a gift that God has given to us, not to keep us back from working, but actually to enjoy so that we can be fresh and strong and respond to God and enjoy life and not burn out and not pass out. But actually we would take a day each week to pray and play, to do the things that restore our souls, that put fuel in our tanks so that we can go again and again and again. This isn't law. This is a gift for us. This isn't something God wants from you. It's something God wants for you. And kind of that principle and that pattern of way of thinking applies to tithing in the Bible in the same way. We spoke a little bit uh, a while ago about how God wrote into the Old Testament law and into his people, the Israelites, this command to tithe. We said that's under the law. But we also spoke about Genesis 14 and Genesis 28, where God showed us Abraham and Jacob, these two kind of heroes of the faith, who tithed before the law. They tithed before Moses came along or before any of this appeared. So in a sense, they tithed under grace. They tithed as they were led by the Spirit. They didn't tithe because they had to. They didn't give to God because they had to. They gave as a choice because they wanted to. They saw this as an act of worship, as an act of response to God. They saw this as a way that they could actually worship Him and the privilege of glorifying Him through the possessions that they had. So in a sense, the thing today is, are we under the law? No, we're not at all. But at the same time, we fulfill the law and we go beyond it as we walk by the Holy Spirit. So that the idea is, in a sense, if under the old covenant, under the law, under the old ways, we would give 10% in the new covenant, in this covenant of grace, everything is going from lesser to greater, from old to new, from less glory to one degree of glory to the next, increasing all the time. So the idea isn't that we would give less. The idea is that we would give more as the Spirit empowers us, and leads us. John Piper, who some of you would have heard of before, says, we have a better sacrifice, a better covenant, and a better promise. Everything is greater with Christ. Why wouldn't giving be greater? Michael Eaton says, grace people on occasion will tithe, but more likely all the other times will actually go beyond the tithe. So in a sense, this idea of being new covenant people in Jesus, our giving shouldn't decrease, our giving should increase because we have experienced the ultimate gift of God giving us his son, Jesus, dying in our place to wash away our sins, giving us a new identity in God as his children, helping us to know God, making sure our eternity is sure in him. All of these promises uh, that are for us in the gospel, it gives us a greater life, a greater covenant, a greater promise, a greater future. And Jesus' own words to us are, freely you have received, now freely give. And church history tells us that the early church carried on this practice. The early church fathers encouraged the churches to carry on in this practice that they had before. But what does Jesus have to say about all of this? You might assume there's a whole lot of verses in the New Testament that speak about this. There really aren't. There's just two. Matthew 23, verse 23 to 24, Jesus says this, Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees. I'm sure you're pretty happy you're not a scribe or a Pharisee today. You hypocrites, for you tithe mint and dill and cumin and have neglected the weightier matters of the law, justice and mercy and faithfulness. These you ought to have done without neglecting the others, you blind guides straining out a gnat and swallowing a camel. Yeah, big camel swallowers here in this church. So the picture that he's got there is of these religious leaders, these Pharisees, these scribes, walking around with their religious checklist. And they're kind of going every single day, tick, 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 tick. I've done this, I've done this, I've done this, I've done this. And then at the end of the day, they get a nice peaceful night's sleep because they've done everything that they had to do. And Jesus says they are so fastidious with detail that actually they even tithe on their spice rack. They're bringing dill, mint, cumin, salt, pepper to church to tithe. Now, please don't do that. <laughs> we, we don't want that. No offense. It was an agrarian society. It was a different time. If you do choose to tithe and give to this church, we do it through EFT or through Zappa. Please, <laughs> I don't want your salt and pepper. The idea in those days where you would bring of your crops, you would bring your fruit and vegetable, you would bring your herbs, you would bring the things that you had traded and received. You would bring that as your tithe to the temple or to the church to give as worship to God. And what Jesus is saying here is these Pharisees and scribes, they were dotting every I and they were crossing every T to make sure that they stuck to the letter, to the detail of the law so that they could show their pure devotion to God. But Jesus, as incredible as he always is, he sees through this completely and he sees as much as they are doing everything to the letter of the law, that their hearts are actually still far from God. So he calls them out. Yeah, yeah, okay. You've tithed on your spices. You've done that. But in the things you can't quantify, in the things that you can't actually define, the internal things, not the external things, you failed completely. In the internal stuff, the motive stuff, the heart stuff, the love stuff that no one on the outside can see, that is where you haven't lived up to what my law and my teachings say. You guys don't just tithe on your salary or your windfalls or inheritances. You're the kind of people who, if you saw a 50 cent piece on the coin, you'd pick it up and take it and instantly you would EFT that five cents to the church just to make sure. To the letter of the law, I've done that everything that I'm supposed to do. But Jesus looks at them and he says, but you guys don't love people. So yeah, you get an A plus for tithing, but you get an F when it comes to the weightier more important matters of the law. Justice, mercy, faithfulness, the big ideas of scripture, you guys get a complete F. You fail outright. Your hearts are so far from God and his ways and his character. You don't reveal him to the world around. You reveal something completely different. And Harbor City, really the ultimate thing, the biggest thing for each one of us to do is to love God and love people. That is Jesus' number one command for each of us. That we would love him well and that we would love other people well as a sign of who he is. And Jesus is saying these Pharisees and scribes are like zoomed in on this checklist of what they've got to do. So yes, they're doing everything they should do externally, but they've lost sight of the bigger picture of why they're doing what they're doing. They've lost sight of God. They've lost sight of people. They've lost sight of the cross. They've lost sight of God's love and grace and all of those things. So they're ticking every single one of these boxes, but they aren't treating people the way they should be treating people, and they aren't representing Jesus. So he says to them, even though you are doing everything right, you're still doing everything wrong. It's such a challenging rebuke from Jesus. And I don't know if any of you in this room as we've gone through the series have just been going A plus. I'm one of the A plus guys, you know. I tithe, I give, I save. Shane gave us the wisdom with money talk, um, telling us about budgeting and saving and retirement annuities and investment, all of that. I've got all of that stuff waxed. I give offerings, I give to the poor, I give to the Tunisia offering, all of these things like A plus, you know. But our confidence becomes in those things rather than actually that we're in Christ. So you do get the A plus, yes, when it comes to the area of money, you are crushing it. You're doing super well when you're obeying Jesus' commands. But in the other areas of faith, you don't. You know, The reality is for every single one of us, if we come before God with the self-righteousness, trying to say, Lord, look how good I am. Look what I've done. We never live up to his perfect standards. Every single one of us falls short. Every single one of us fail. Every single one of us mess up, whether it's externally or internally or both. And what Jesus is saying, you Pharisees, you've got an A plus in this area, but your life as a whole is an F. You don't pass. And what Jesus is saying is that for you and I here today, we're never going to be perfect. But if we put our confidence in being in him and what he's done, the life he's lived, his perfect obedience to the Father, his perfect generosity and giving, the perfect words he's spoken, Jesus was perfect in every way. If we put our confidence in him and believe in him and trust in him with faith, then we will get an A-plus grade in God's eyes too. God will look at us and see what Jesus has done, not what we have done. That's something of the good news of the gospel. The reality of tithing is that it can become legalistic and self-righteous just like everything else in life. The reality is for all of us here, coming to church or praying or reading our Bibles or anything that we do that is Christian can be distorted and become a legalistic thing. Just like the things we do every day in the rest of our lives, you know, cooking food, going and exercising. What about brushing your teeth? Those are things we do every single day. Well, well, I don't do the exercise one every day. Maybe you guys do. But it's so easy for those things to become legalistic or self-righteous things. Look at my exercise. Look at this. Look at that. And we don't want to stop those things. Please don't stop brushing your teeth. It's a very good daily practice that we put in place. But the idea is that neither are we to conclude that any of those things in themselves are legalistic or self-righteous. It's how we approach them and how we use them to make them one way or another. Ray Ortland writes, tithing is obedience 101. It's entry-level discipleship. When we tithe, we should be thinking, well, this is for starters and I grow from here. So let's tithe. But let's also press boldly into the demanding questions of justice and mercy and faithfulness. Trusting and obeying Jesus, no matter the cost. Because what we see from the whole scope of Scripture, the Old and New Testaments, what Jesus says, what the prophets say, is this idea that tithing really is the starting blocks of our giving. We should tithe. It's the training wheels. It's not the finish line. It's kind of where we start. It's the beginner stuff. And we want to grow in generosity from that place, that more and more we would reveal Jesus's heart. So for those of you who are part of this church, I want to call you to respond to what the scriptures teach about this. If you're new, if you're visiting, of course, please, this is not for you. But for those who are part of this church, I really want to call you to listen to what Jesus says and to put this in practice in your life as a step of faith and to also seek to grow in living a life of generosity, of justice, of love, of mercy, and of faithfulness to God and people in every area of life. Now, what I'm about to say might be a bit of a mindset change for some of us. But today, really, we're talking about tithing as a spiritual discipline. I think when we hear that phrase, spiritual discipline, we probably think of things like praying and reading your Bible and coming to church and serving in the church and fasting and kind of those things, you know. But what we've explored this year as a church earlier on, as we looked at knowing God, was this idea that we know him through Jesus, but we build a relationship through the things that we do we don't have a relationship because of what we do it's what Jesus has done but to build a healthy relationship with him it's what we do and we spoke about things like hospitality and we spoke about things like feasting and we spoke about Sabbathing and we spoke about community and a whole lot of other spiritual disciplines that shape us into a Christ-like community and into people that look more and more like Jesus and today I want to look a little bit at how giving generosity and tithing is also a spiritual discipline so Firstly, I really hope that you don't see this as tithing as a church membership fee or a church tax. Because I come here, tax season is open and I've got to pay up, you know. But tithing is this kind of countercultural act that we as followers of Jesus engage in. The world views money a certain way and Jesus is trying to change the way that we see that to form us into a different group of people. Not a people shaped by envy and greed and materialism and consumerism and all of this stuff. But a people that trust in God and have faith in him and put him first in everything that we do. And each of these things I'm going to go through are probably very personal things to think about. Because when it comes to the area of money, I think things like fear and desire and greed and insecurity and trust and all of those things come into play. So the first way, tithing is a spiritual discipline the tithing is an act of worship i think we know this as a church but worship is so much more than just singing of songs you know so great singing together today and i think eugene and the band uh, where's eugene disappeared Eugene crushed it did but it's so good to sing together but we've got to have this picture of worship as more than just singing songs to god but it being a whole life lived to god in obedience in response to who he is and what he's done so when we talk about worship, we're saying that we see ourselves as stewards and God as the giver of everything we have. He has given us our life. He's given us breath. He's given us everything that belongs to us. And really we hold it as stewards or managers who are using it in the best way to serve him. That is worship. When we take all we are and all we have and say, Lord, it's for you, it's not for me. And really the idea with tithing isn't so much about what we do with the 10%, but how what we do with the 10% shapes how we see the other 90%. It's not ours. All of it belongs to him. Tithing shapes us as worshipers of Jesus. Secondly, tithing is an act of spiritual warfare. Now, that is such a weird phrase. And if you're new to church, I have no idea what's going through your mind now. Like, Sheldon and I have been watching quite a bit of Harry Potter recently. And I think that is what comes to mind. You know, Voldemort and there's like spells and good versus evil and all of that kind of thing. But that's not what is going on here. Spiritual warfare involves who rules over what. Is it God or is it something else? And really, when I say tithing is spiritual warfare, I'm saying tithing is spiritual warfare when it comes to rands and scents. When it comes to mundane, everyday, ordinary stuff that we use all of the time, we're saying, who rules and reigns over this? Who does this belong to? Does it belong to me or him or something else? Tithing is spiritual warfare with those things. And when we started the series, I quoted Martin Luther as saying that each Christian needs to have three conversions. It's a conversion of our hearts, giving over our desires and our worship to him. It's a conversion of our minds, giving over the way we think and our worldview to his teachings and his ways. And then it's a conversion of our wallets that actually, Lord, the things that belong to me don't belong to me anymore. Because you are my Lord and King, they belong to you and I give them over to you. And that's what we're talking about with spiritual warfare. For each one of us, spiritual maturity looks like, Lord, anything you say or ask, I will do because you're my king. You call the shots. You rule and reign over this piece of earth. I belong to you. And when it comes to our money, Lord, we don't trust in that. We trust in you. So, of course, you can have it. Hebrews 13, verse 5 says, keep your life free from the love of money and be content with what you have. For he has said, I will never leave you nor forsake you. Tithing is about the priorities in our life. Tithing is about dethroning some of the idols or the little gods that kind of pop up in our hearts and that we serve and worship and obey. Tithing is about standing against a consumeristic and materialistic world, which is telling us that we need more and we need different things, and those things can define us. And saying, no, 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 no. Jesus defines me, and everything I have is his and is for him and his kingdom. Tithing is also obviously an act of faith. I think this becomes quite obvious as we've talked through the series because money is something that we put our trust in so easily. Money is something that we believe in and we hope in and we think can save us, you know. And when it comes to obeying Jesus in all of these areas, we really are stepping out in faith because we're saying, Lord, if I obey you in this, I'm really putting my trust in you rather than in money. You know, I can say that I'm trusting in you. I can say I'm following you. I can say I'm worshiping you. But then actually my, my hope is my RA. My hope is my savings. My hope is my job. My hope is my income. But when we trust God and obey him when it comes to finances, we're saying, Lord, I actually really do trust you. So I'm going to put my money where my mouth is, and I'm going to obey your words when it comes to money. Fourthly, tithing is partnership in the local church. And again, this is not a membership fee. This is not a church tax. That's not what I'm saying at all. And I think one of the things we often say here as a church this church is not an event you attend. It's a family on mission. It's a family that you belong to. And we really believe that. And I think it's very easy for us to come in with consumeristic lenses to church. We think, I've tithed, so church is my service provider. Church is going to give me a good Sunday experience, and I'm pumped. So when I walk in, everything better be looking sharp, Grant. It better be looking good. And as I come in here, I'm expecting warmth. People better be friendly. They better be good to me. And listen, Eugene and the band better be fresh. They better be on point. Because if they're not, you know, I want to be moved. I want to like really touch heaven. I want to engage with God. I want all of that stuff. And when you stand up to speak, or whoever's speaking, this better be like Christian TED Talk deluxe. You know, I want deep theology. Like I want to be moved by new truth I've never seen. You better make those scriptures come alive. And more than that, I want to be moved. Pull on my heartstrings. I want to cry—not like ugly cry, but just single solitary tear down the cheek. I want to feel the message. Thanks, Nate. I appreciate the clap. I'll take it, you know? I don't just want to learn, I just don't just want to be moved. I want to laugh and I want to be inspired. I want to leave here and go into the week ready to take on the world. That's what I want from your talk. I want to go downstairs, and those baristas really better make me a great cup of coffee. And if it's too hot or too cold, I'm gonna be very cross. That's not Christianity, that's consumerism. That's not the church, that's a business. That's not what we're trying to build here, Harbor City. So that's not what I'm talking about when we talk about tithing. Really, Christians give as worship to God, and we give towards the mission and ministry of the church. We want to see the message of the gospel advance, and Jesus' kingdom come in Durban and beyond. And really, that is what tithing is. You know, It's being generous to God through the church so that the church can be well-resourced to do ministry and to serve others and to see God's kingdom come. And the tithes of this church are used to facilitate ministry. Now, I know some of you have thought about this before because you're wired that way. And some of you, this is about to blow your mind. But really, the tithes that the people of this church give go to very practical things. The tithes of this church pay my salary and Carmen's salary, wherever she is today. She's here somewhere. I just can't see her. Sorry. She's not bunking. She hasn't bailed. You don't have to worry. The tithes of this church pay for us to rent the space and to rent our offices down the road. The tithes of this church pay for the equipment that we need and for our training events and to serve our kids and to make disciples in the space as we go on. They pay for our tea and our coffee and our donuts downstairs afterwards. And they pay for a whole lot of kind of the justice and ministry stuff that we do. They fund things like Paradigm Shift and NEMA and other projects that we're involved in and a whole bunch of other stuff too. And as we go on as a church... The idea is that there would be more people to hire and more things to buy and do. And actually, we want to be well-resourced. We want to be blessed to be a blessing as a church. It's not just about us building one great, strong church here in Glenwood. The idea is actually that we would be blessed to be a blessing, that we could give to those in need, that we could give to other projects going on, that we could give to help churches be planted, as we've been doing with North Africa that we could sow into other projects and other things, not just so that this church gets bigger and better, but so the kingdom of God grows around Durban and South Africa and the nations of the world. Tithing is about this church, but it's not just about this church. It's really about all that God is on about. I want to say without the generous giving of the people of this community, none of the ministry that we're involved in as a church can go on. So thank you. Thank you for tithing as an act of partnership in this local church. I think the last thing I wanted to say is tithing is an act of imitating Jesus. And I think we've spoken about this the whole way through this series. But we've said that our vision as a church is to know Jesus and make Jesus known. That's why we're here. That's why we exist. And we really want to be a church that is crushing it with discipleship. You know, We've said we would love to be like black belt disciples for Jesus. And we would love you to know him and to be following him and to be learning his teachings and obeying that and fulfilling that and then helping other people to know him too and really doing all of the stuff that he did and that he calls us to. And in 2 Corinthians 8, verse 7 to 9, Paul speaks about the link between Jesus and our giving. And he says, But as you excel in giving, in faith, sorry, as you excel in everything, in faith, in speech, in knowledge, in all earnestness, and in our love for you, See that you excel in this act of grace also. I say this not as a command, but to prove by the earnestness of others that your love also is genuine. For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor, so that you by his poverty might become rich. And what Paul is trying to say there is Jesus gave everything for you and I. Jesus didn't tithe his blood. He didn't tithe his life. He gave everything for you and I he just he poured it out he gave it all as Paul speaks about giving and excelling in this grace of giving his motivation is look at Jesus and all he has given for you and to you we give because he first gave us and on the cross we see God giving us not what we deserve but giving us so much more as he gave his son the most expensive gift that our universe has ever seen I don't know if anyone in this room has a. Uh, watched the movie or seen the play Les Mis before? Just me, and I, Kim. Okay, we've maybe got one or two others. Um, I know you don't want to out yourself with this. Some people wouldn't think that's cool or whatever. But I can't pronounce the full name, so I'm just going to go Les Mis. But it is the story that Victor Hugo wrote of Jean Valjean and I guess his highs and lows of life. And we kind of are introduced to him near the beginning of the film version I've watched after he's been in prison for 19 years after stealing a loaf of bread. Imagine that. And he's out on the streets, he's been released, and he's going along, and it is cold, and his clothes are threadbare, and he can't stay at a hotel or inn because he's got absolutely no money anywhere. So finally, he goes to the bishop's house and he knocks on the door. And Monseigneur Nuriel, which I'm probably also bastardizing, please forgive me, is a 75 year old bishop who really had most of his valuables taken away in the French Revolution. He doesn't have a lot left, but he welcomes Jean Valjean into his home. And he sits him down by the fire and he gives him something hot to drink and eat. And he gives him a room to stay in overnight. He's incredibly generous. And Jean Valjean is lying in that room and he just can't go to sleep. His mind is racing. And as grateful as he is to this bishop for welcoming him in, he thinks the best thing for him to do is probably to rob this man and get on his way so he can start up a new life. So in the middle of the night, he takes his knapsack or bag. He fills it with as much silverware as he can. And he heads back out into the snow And he goes out and the police pick him up almost straight away. You can imagine that moment after 19 years in prison for stealing a loaf of bread. Now, all of a sudden, he's been caught again. He's going to die in prison. This is it. And the police take him back to the bishop's house. They knock on the door and the bishop comes out and sees what has happened. And the bishop says to Jean Valjean, you forgot the two silver candlesticks, the most valuable pieces. You forgot them. They were made of solid silver, too. And the police are confused, and Jean Valjean's confused. No one really knows what's going on. But the police are told that they can leave. And the bishop comes up to Valjean, and he says this. "Um, Jean Valjean, my brother, you no longer belong to evil but to good. I have bought your soul from you. I take it back from evil thoughts and deeds and the spirit of hell, and I give it to God. And in this story, we see Jean Valjean is saved by grace, you know, He is saved by not what he has done, but by the gift of the bishop. And it was a very expensive gift that the bishop gave. It cost him all of his silverware. It cost him all of his valuables. And Jean Valjean's life is changed in that moment. It's changed by that moment of grace. And he is never the same again. He goes on to become the mayor of a small town, to care for the poor and the needy. And he also takes in the daughter of a deceased prostitute. He raises her as his own. As I just thought of that story, I thought freely he received, now freely he gave. Can we just stand and we're going to just respond to God's word together? If you're comfortable closing your eyes, can I ask you to do that? I think for us, Harbor City, the cross is the most costly example of God's love and God's grace given to you. And today, as we just think about that, for some of us, Maybe it's going to lead us to generosity and to response. For others today, maybe it's a time to come to God for His grace. Maybe it's a time to come to Him for forgiveness, for a new start, for a fresh opportunity. Maybe today you haven't freely received, and today is the day to receive of the grace and forgiveness and love of God into your life. That you, like Jean Valjean, could start a new life. Maybe not as mayor, but following Jesus and entering into the new life he's got. So I just welcome you here, Holy Spirit. And I pray that you would guide us and lead us and empower us, Lord. Probably all of us struggle with greed and envy and coveting and all sorts of fear when it comes to money. I pray that you would help us to let that go and to put our faith and our trust in you, to hold on to you. Help us to see Jesus' generosity on the cross and all that that really is. And I pray, Lord, that that grace would fill our hearts and our minds and our lives. And I pray as we leave here that that grace would flow out into the streets of Durban and bless many, many people.